Hello? Hi, Jim. It's Maeve. Hi, Maeve. <laughs> Time to do our podcast. Oh, my. Yet again. Yet again. This is Episode social distance. 564. <laughs> social distance, the Atlantic's podcast about the pandemic. I am Jim Hamblin. I'm a doctor and staff writer at the Atlantic. And I am Maeve Higgins. I'm Jim's aunt. <laughs> you don't know what happened remember yesterday. What, remember what we said last time about telling the truth <laughs> jim my sister had a baby last night huh? and she named him jim what yes wow i know that's, that's so kind that's even more generous of you than <laughs> the hen <laughs> the gyms are the... really adding up around the higgins household so <laughs> <laughs> is the middle name hamblin or is it <laughs> The coincidence is his dad's name is James and his granddad's oh. name is James. But obviously it's it's you. I'm not one to go mm -hmm. looking for patterns, uh, digging in the weeds here. I just no. go with my, my instinct and that mm. seems to be like that's my name. So it must have something to do with me. Yeah, I think so. Great. Well, congrats. I hope yeah. the family's doing okay. A, a lot great. to celebrate there. Yeah, he's lovely. Quiet. Hasn't said much. But oh, really? Very mm. cute. Actually, Maeve, I have something on the naming issue. I was talking to uh, Dr. Fauci again this week, oh. and I introduced myself at the top as James Hamlin with The Atlantic, and he mm -hmm. said, is it Jim or James? And uh, I said, either one. My friends call me Jim. And he said, well, I'll be your friend. Uh, I'll call you Jim. <gasps> and... It just threw me, you know, the whole rest of the conversation. I was on my heels. <laughs> just a random example of how this uh, throws a kink in so many of my uh, conversations where we go down the Jim James rabbit hole. Yeah. But I, I think you set it up, though, that he kind of had to call you Jim. Do you know what I mean? Because it was like, are you with me or are you against me, Dr. Fauci? Like, that's what you put to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just say, well, my friends call me Jim. And then I let that linger and see which direction people go. Uh, well, I know he has a first name, but I don't think I know what it is. Oh, it's Tony. Actually, he's very much like mm. me. Uh, everyone, like, call me Tony. Like, I, I don't like being addressed as doctor when I don't need to. What do you call him? Uh, Dr. Fauci. I, you know, <laughs> when I'm interviewing in 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 this sort of situation, I I like to maintain formality unless someone is like insistent. Yeah, and and also they they do need to be a doctor because you kept wanting me to call you Doctor Higgins, and I yeah. said I don't feel comfortable with that. What I said to you was, "Call me Doctor Higgins. That will kind of get me in with the listeners. That will help <laughs> them to trust me." Yeah, but Remember? again, uh, lying. We can't do it mm. here. Mm -hmm. As a journalistic institution. Right. No, you explained that to me. What I thought was quite, what I thought was quite a patronizing way. Um, <laughs> but look, we're all doctors here, so you don't need to. <laughs> oh, hey, bro, remember that time in medical school when we uh, stole the traffic signs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, me, and Tony. So, so much shenanigans. <laughs> But, um, you know, I'm so keen to talk to you today because, you know, I've got access to the listeners mailbag and there's loads of questions coming in. And the big 
question seems to be like, are things changing? And like, how quickly, you know, what can we do now that things feel safer in the US? Or are they more dangerous with the variants? So can I ask you some of their questions, Jim? Yes. One is from Stacy, who said, I know the CDC is still cautioning about travel, but she's going to be flying. So Jim, flying, what do you do when you fly? You know, do you double mask? Do you wear a face shield? Stacy, by the way, is vaccinated, like fully. She's mm. done her time. She's cooked. Really, once you're vaccinated, I'm going to say this carefully, <laughs> that based on what we know about infection and transmission, a mask should be almost totally unnecessary. They're still advised, so I'm not saying don't, but the hope is that once enough people are vaccinated, we don't have to think very much about masks in a situation, especially like flying where there's really good ventilation in the cabin. Um, there might be yeah. high touch, close contact, high risk situations where we'll need to wear yeah. masks. But if we can get more and more people uh, vaccinated right now, because we don't have these vaccine passports that we've talked about um, and we don't have you know, <laughs> sorts of restrictions that might say if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. It's just simpler for lots of places to say, you know, we require a mask. Just wear them. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, that's a question that's coming up a lot because... People are kind of thinking, I don't really need to wear a mask, but I don't want to be one of those people who's not wearing one. And so yeah. um, Matt is somebody who asked about that too. He said, at some point in the not so distant future, we'll reach a point that everyone who will have wanted the vaccine will have received it. He's obviously speaking just exclusively about America. But anyway, yeah, sorry. he could also be Canadian. When that happens, do I have an obligation to wear a mask if I go to an indoor gathering with people who I know have not been vaccinated. It, you know, it, it's been clear from the beginning, even even Tony says that you don't need to wear a mask when you're hanging out with vaccinated people. Um, but there's an interesting, Sorry. you know, that if you know everyone's vaccinated there, you don't need to. Um, I think if you were in a gathering with people who, where there was someone who couldn't get vaccinated for some rare reason, um, then absolutely, you would not want to put them at risk. But there is going to come a point where people who are voluntarily foregoing vaccination mm. can't really force all of society to wear masks to protect them. And that's going to be very tricky. Uh, let's talk more to someone who's thought a lot about the sort of social dynamics of mask wearing and public perception in messaging. Uh, Derek Thompson who oh, yeah. is a friend of the show, a staff writer at The Atlantic, and uh, all-around smart guy. Hmm. Hey, Derek. Hey, Jim. Hi, Derek. Hi, Maeve. So nice to meet you. I know you've been on the show before, before my time. Yes, um, I have. But uh, it's great to have you back. Well, it's wonderful to be back. Thank you so much for having me. How's everything going with you, Derek? Uh, things are going pretty well, I'd say. Um, my wife has been doubly vaccinated, uh, which is great. Um, I have been nice. singly or half vaccinated um, and I'm getting my second in a few days, which is really exciting. Oh, brilliant. I'm mod squad, by the way, not a Pfizerian. Um, I do. I am kind of interested in getting people to be a what? little bit uh, more protective and jealous over their uh, vaccine identities. I think that would uh, that would maybe help uptake among, you know, Vax hesitant Republicans that nonetheless like team sports. 
you know, might ah. like to join the mod squad or the Fizarians or the, the J and Jers. Um, anyway, I'm mod squad. And um, yeah, that's my rather long answer to your question. <laughs> no, you, uh, well, you were on, you know, last summer explaining the stock market to us. And I know you have a sense for these things like branding and how people make decisions. So <laughs> if you say that, maybe there's something to explore there. Derek, you know what we wanted to talk to you? We're getting all these listener questions about, you know, how to be in the world. And Jim said the three most powerful words in the English language. I don't know. So <laughs> we were like, okay, we're going to talk to you because you've written all about this sort of mask wearing, when to do it, when not to do it. And you, you called this phenomenon hygiene theater. And that really struck a chord. So... Can you explain what hygiene theater is? Sure. Speaking of branding, did you invent that term too? I think I was talking about it with Juliet uh, Lapidus, my editor uh, at The Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember who came up with the words hygiene theater together, but we were like talking about the theatrics of hygiene. And then mm -hmm. one of us sort of smushed it together and made it a term. So hygiene theater, what is it? I would define hygiene theater as participating in activities that might make you feel safer, but don't actually make you any safer from the pandemic. A great example of hygiene theater, something that I did uh, exactly one year ago in March and April of 2020, I was washing all of my fruits and vegetables with soap or some mm -hmm. sort of vegetable safe soap. I thought that that's where the virus lived. I thought it lived on apple skins and potatoes. Uh, and it just doesn't really. And so I've written a couple of articles about how individuals, but much more importantly, companies and even governments have put too much weight on surface transmission of this disease, You know, shutting down schools to clean the walls and the desks or shutting down the metro or the subway so that they can you know, wash down the, the seats. Uh, this is an utter waste of money and time mm. when time and money are scarce and important. And I think we should stop it. I'm going to argue that uh, washing the subway is uh, <laughs> worthwhile, at least in New York. I think DC's is generally cleaner. Um, I feel like this washing the subway gym might break it in New York. Like the dirt might just be <laughs> the thing holding it together. Well, I, not for disease prevention purposes, though, just for general, like, you know. Yes. Odor. Hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just well. for, I mean, what about that, though? Like, what about, okay, we... We used to think you have to wash, you know, your your vegetables, whatever. Now we know that you don't, but it's still kind of good that everyone's taking care and like being cleaner. Is that an argument? This is a totally valid argument. And I constantly find myself having to distinguish between what I think of as hygiene theater and other behaviors that are kind of just fine and not that important. So if people want to wash their hands constantly during a pandemic, I'm definitely not going to criticize that behavior. Like wash your hands mm -hmm. as much as you want. Washing your hands in order to get rid of bacteria is just a really good, fine, smart thing to do whenever, pandemic or no pandemic. Hygiene theater is a problem for a totally different reason. At a conceptual level, we should be fighting this disease where it lives and not telling people to fight this disease where it doesn't live. People only have so much time in their day. They only have so much money. They only have so much cognitive capacity that they're going to spend for this pandemic. We want to tell them the truth. And the truth is that this is basically an indoor talking disease. You should be cautious when you're indoors, especially cautious when you're talking. But otherwise, this disease does not seem to spread very effectively, or the virus certainly doesn't. And so we should be encouraging people to go outside and not 
think so much about this disease living like bacteria on our kitchen tables. So that's just, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, I totally agree. You think about like urban transit authorities, right? Is it good that they're cleaning the subway a little bit more than they might've been cleaning it, you know, three years ago? Yeah, probably it's totally fine. But in a period when New York subway is running low on money and they're having to shut down service at night, I don't want them spending scarce money on blasting their subways and buses with antimicrobial weaponry. That is a waste of scarce resources. And it builds, frankly, a false sense of security in some spaces. Like with restaurants, if you see someone scrubbing down a table very vigorously and getting their elbow grease into it and say to yourself, oh, that means the restaurant is safe. Well, no, the virus isn't living on the table. The elbow grease is totally theatrical. What matters is ventilation in that restaurant if you're not vaccinated. Mm. So I want people to focus on the threat this virus poses and to not focus mm. on the threat this virus doesn't pose. Yeah, great points. We, we, we only have so much energy. We don't want to feel like we're getting credit for something that's not actually actually doing anything. And that leads into also your argument about outdoor masking probably being overdone. How was that received? <laughs> How was it received? That's certainly a good question. So let me state the thesis and then I'll state uh, uh, the reception. The thesis Please. is basically <laughs> that, um, you know, I wear masks everywhere, to be clear. Um, but I was uh, getting drinks with a friend last week and I did something that sort of struck me as kind of funny. I wore a mask while I was alone and outside and then I demasked at this sort of tight outdoor patio when I sat closest to a person where I'd be sitting for two hours. And Mm -hmm. that's like, um, from an epidemiological perspective, kind of the opposite of what makes sense. Uh, This virus poses no threat to individuals walking alone down the street, but in close encounters and less ventilated spaces, it is more dangerous. And so I just felt like, you know, it felt like being someone who had their seatbelt on in a parked car and then unbuckling the seatbelt just as I put the car into drive. It was like just doing the opposite of what the safety precaution should dictate. So I wrote this piece essentially pointing out, based on lots of research, that this virus does not seem to spread very effectively outside, and we should probably think about very soon lifting outdoor mask mandates while encouraging both vaccinated and unvaccinated people to wear their masks in um, public indoor spaces like a CVS. I would say the reception broke into two very clear categories. One category was scientists who said, yep, this uh, makes sense. You uh, got the transmission of the disease right, you've got the science right, we agree. And the other category was people that have, I think, uh, developed a overly neurotic or a scatteredly neurotic view of this virus, telling me that I wanted people to die. Um, I don't want people to die. Uh, I want people to live their life as normally as possible while protecting themselves as reasonably as possible. And I think the way to do that is masks inside, Masks in crowds, no outdoor mask mandates for people just living their life outside. Yeah. We have gotten questions like that. And, you know, I don't know about like neuroses. I think it's like a lot of confusion. Um, One listener asked, you know, what should happen in restaurants and bars? Do we still wear masks for the people who've maybe refused to follow public health advice and get vaccinated? What do you say to that? And also, when you so you walk to the bar and sat with your friend, do you think you should have been wearing a mask while you were sitting with them? Uh, no, I, I, I don't. We're sitting on a patio outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of us had had uh, one shot 
of the Moderna vaccines. Uh, and it had been at least two weeks since that shot, three weeks actually for both of us since that shot. Uh, so there is at least some protection conferred uh, by that initial dose. Um, yeah. I don't think the threat to either of us facing ventilation and the, and the vaccine was, was particularly high. And, and I would encourage anyone else to have drinks with their friends on patios, uh, especially after getting at least one shot. Oh, I love that you're encouraging that. And I'm thinking in a Negroni, please. I, I actually, it was a Mezcal Negroni. <laughs> that was the first thing that I oh, ordered. Oh, so, yeah. delicious. I love a Mezcal Negroni in the mid-spring. Yeah. Um, I think you're, when, when it comes to, you know, Fauci's comments about uh, people needing to wear masks after getting vaccinated, my, my feeling is I get why Fauci and the CDC, public health officials, would encourage hyper caution, like they're public health officials, that that's what they do. At the same time, I do think that sometimes people like Fauci and members of the CDC can mischaracterize the sort of activities that someone who is vaccinated can do. I am probably more on the side of feeling like the point of being vaccinated is basically to get your entire life back. And that while you are, if you're a fully vaccinated person, you know, living in a world of heterogeneously vaccinated people, you should wear a mask in CVS. That's a nice thing to do. You should wear a mask at Trader Joe's. That's a, that's a good thing to do. But like... I'll tell you what you shouldn't wear in Trader Joe's is a floral shirt. Is that because, right? Same yeah, way. because everybody will be like, hey, where's the hummus? You know? <laughs> That's actually another public health warning, just for me. Did you did you just also don't... wear a name tag? <laughs> I do. <laughs> that might have been confusing if you walk around with both a floral t-shirt and a name tag. <laughs> and I work in Trader Joe's, so I don't know what I'm <laughs> complaining about. <laughs> but, you know, um, those are the things that maybe we've been overdoing, right, or worried about. So what are the things that we haven't been doing that we should probably do more of? That's such a good question. I'm really glad that you asked that. Because uh, I think a lot of times people listen to me and they're like, oh, you don't take the pandemic seriously. Like, no, I do. I just conceptualize of this pandemic mm -hmm. very specifically. It's an indoor talking disease for the most part. If you are mm -hmm. talking or breathing in an exerted way, like at the gym, inside, that's where the threat is. So I think that people have sometimes had a really backward idea of like what they should be doing inside. I, I'm a huge fan of um, having put up, I wrote this piece last summer about... Um, library rules for America. We should have signs on places like CVS or, uh, or Trader Joe's um, that says, hey, please keep your voice down. This disease truly does spread through the aerosolization that comes from our talking. So people who go into CVS with their masks and then have their phones out, their, their cell phones out, and pull down their mask to talk more clearly into the <laughs> phone have completely misunderstood how this virus works. Um, don't do that keep your voice down. Do you, like, hmm. That's a very, very reasonable thing to ask of people in these public spaces. But I'm for giving and taking. We should take away from people this freedom they might feel to like chat loudly on the phone in CVS's and Trader Joe's, while at the same time giving them the removal of outdoor mask mandates, giving them the outsides, not shutting down beaches, not shaming people for going out in a park without their masks on. We should be celebrating the outdoors while more yeah. tightly regulating the indoors. I couldn't agree more with you, Derek. This is an issue that covering health behaviors, I tend to run up against quite a lot that people see binaries, that something is either good or bad. Mm -hmm. And 
masks are seeming to fall in that category um, where it's hard to emphasize that things are only good or bad in in context. I mean, how do you think about threading that needle for people who are just like, I thought I needed to wear a mask. Now you're saying I don't need to wear a mask. Yeah. For for me, also, I should need to stand up for my quote unquote friend, his words, Tony, (laughs) in that I think he sees that binary and it's just like we need to keep people in the masks are good category and not the masks are bad category. Yeah, I if I were Tony, your friend, his words, um, (laughs) I would say this masks work, period but they're not doing that work when you're mm-hmm. outside and alone. Seatbelts work, period. Are seatbelts doing any work when you're sitting in a parked car in a parking lot? No. So no. it doesn't make any sense to write a local ordinance that says people in parked cars and parking lots must have their seatbelt on. And by the way, here's like a $300 fine that will probably never be administered. That just doesn't make sense as a matter of rulemaking. Mm -hmm. So that's how I feel about masks. You like, I think the public can take a little bit more nuance than maybe Tony feels. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you very much, Derek. Masks are good and seatbelts are good. But if you blend either of them up into a smoothie and drink them, that's not good. Yes, Mm. good things out of context can be pointless, especially if you blend them into smoothies. You know, another change that's happening is the variants. And we have a voicemail from a listener, Derek, that you might be able to help us with if you want to take a listen. It's from Jeff. Hi. I'm wondering now that the variants are at large, if all of the basic rules that we've been following are still true. Is six feet still right? You know, is a single mask still right? Um, there's nothing new about the dynamics of how the virus travels through air uh, mm-hmm. that has to do with the variants. I've always been very cautious of that six feet rubric, which is very rough, kind of like mm-hmm. exercise 20 minutes a day. It's a, it's a nice guideline. It's not some holy grail that <laughs> is like, mm-hmm. if you only exercise 19 minutes, then you're going to die early. So I, yeah, I I don't think it changes um, guidelines. I think we uh, in high risk situations we should have the best possible masks. Mm-hmm. I would wear an N95 if I had to be close to people, unvaccinated people indoors for any mm-hmm. period of time. And yet it doesn't make me feel the variants don't make me feel any uh, any less comfortable than I already do running outside without a mask when I'm mm-hmm. not near people. How are you thinking about that, Derek? Yeah, I think I think about it in the exact same way. Um, the coronavirus OG was an indoor talking disease. And I think the variants can create more indoor talking disease. I think it's basically the same. It's possible that like the spike protein after the mutation is like a little stickier for some reason, or that it mm-hmm. infects us in a slightly different way in the bronchial area or something else. All that's possible. But like, as you said, like the aerodynamics of this don't change. It doesn't have the ability to travel extraordinarily long distances in an effective way outside without dispersing. But it's always been an approximation to say, oh, stand six feet away mm-hmm. from someone. Uh, in some mm-hmm. cases, sure. In other cases, if there's like 
you know, a fan that's like blowing someone who's like talking loudly and they have COVID and they're like blowing virus particles toward you behind them in line, then yeah, it, it can, this disease can spread more than six feet. It doesn't die at exactly six feet. Yeah. Oh man. This is raising so many, I think, universal issues with mm -hmm. public health messaging in terms of people want binaries. I mean, we all do. Something is either good for you or bad for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then also we want concrete answers like six feet or is it double or single mask or exactly when do I need to wear a mask? That is a totally reasonable and normal instinct. And yet there's always some approximation to it. And it's something I've been struggling with um, because people want certainty and want to know they're protected and doing the right stuff. Um, yeah. Like what do you think is going to happen with greetings and like goodbyes? Because Handshake sounds okay because you can just wash your hands. But like, you know, like air kissing, that's gone forever. Face shouting. Yeah, holding your friend's face really close to yours. <laughs> and shouting right into it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love doing that on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, just getting together and holding people by the cheeks and shouting into their nostrils. Um, Where did you get your purse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where can I find that name tag? Does Trader Joe's have an online website? Um, <laughs> I think, you know, we were born into a world, all of us, with driving. And we were born into a world, all of us, with outdoor pools. Driving kills 30,000 people a year. Outdoor pools kill hundreds of children a year. But because we were born into a world that already included those risks, we didn't have to deal with the beginning of car deaths or the beginning of pool deaths. But all of us just lived through the beginning of a pandemic. And a lot of people are waiting for that novelty to be over. And I think that it's probably worth stating, as Jim has, in fact, very explicitly, that mm -hmm. that novel risk might not ever completely go away. It might just become a kind of influenza style risk that we deal with during the winter. We might have to be looking out for a future of not just flu shots, but a kind of flu-rona cocktail that we take every winter with a shot and a coronavirus booster. But we live with non-pandemic risks that are nonetheless very serious risks all the time. It feels like there's this moment where, and we might've already passed it, where we could kind of just defeat the virus and drive it into obsolescence versus letting it kill hundreds of thousands of people a year. Mm -hmm. And we're at that precipice right now. I, I, but I feel like exactly what you're arguing is so important for actually getting that accomplished because people will throw their hands up and give up on all preventive measures if it seems like, well, this is never ending. I'm just going to live my life. Versus if we could say, when you're outside, you don't need a mask. When you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. But there are these, you know, you do need to <laughs> say, get these booster shots. You do need to be careful about XYZ scenarios. And we have lived with seasonal influenza for decades. And so maybe having fought coronavirus for what it, whatever it is now, 14 months, we can take lessons from that that we can use to make us safer from the flu. We can remember that both influenza and coronavirus are likely indoor talking diseases for the most part. And we can wear masks during the winter in CVSs and Trader Joe's and protect us from mm. both. Um, yeah. uh, but I do think that overall, we, there are people who have been shocked by the uh, creation of a pandemic 
into thinking that it has to be over before they get the green light to travel or eat in a restaurant or hug a friend uh, and not feel anxious and terrible about it. Um, I really want us to live with a proper risk assessment. And that means getting the vaccine and then mostly getting your life back. Um, can I ask you a sort of callback from one of your prior appearances on the show? We talked about the restaurant industry and what the future of that would be. I ate outside of a restaurant recently. They told me that it was business was was great because they suddenly had this new takeout business, which was not a big part of what they we're used to before the pandemic and they also had a new outdoor space that they didn't have before and that the longer term projection for them was actually like these new revenue systems that might ultimately be good mm. how are you feeling about the restaurant industry is that an outlier or is that potentially representative of more than just this one place yeah i th i think there's a number of ways in which as straightforwardly horrific the last year plus has been Mm -hmm. People have been forced to experiment so much that we're going to learn some good things from that forced experiment. Remote work might be one example. Um, when it comes to restaurants, I think restaurants are, have been forced to learn a lot. I think you were already seeing, even in 2019, that the future of the restaurant business is going to be off-premise rather than on-premise. Um, off-premise spending through you know, Grubhub or sort of, you know, both delivery and takeaway was growing so much faster than on-premise spending. But then also you see like people love eating outside and God, how much better is it to live in a city when traffic is somewhat shut down so that people can eat on the mm -hmm. sidewalks and streets? I am very hopeful that both urban planners and restaurants continue to allow a lot more outdoor eating, especially in the non-winter months. And uh, I think it's great. I have to say in France, they call that al dente. That's not <laughs> what it means. <laughs> Wait, so... I'm still not sure on where we are with restaurants. Like they're going to be fine. Some of them are going to be fine. I know it's a big question, Derek, but I really want to know what's going to happen to McDonald's. Yes. Let me answer the question broadly. And I, I promise I'll get to McDonald's in a second. Um, <laughs> broadly speaking, I think the metaphor that I've settled on for the restaurant industry is something like a forest fire. Um, mm. You have a crisis and you have a lot of things burned down. And then in the aftermath, in the ashes, you have new growth that it can often stimulate more biodiversity mm. in the forest than pre-existed the fire. And I think it could happen with restaurants um, that in a variety of ways. The crop of restaurant that exists in two years will be more interesting and more fun than the crop of restaurant that existed uh, two years ago. I'm hopeful for that. Um, when it comes to McDonald's, I am hopeful that they, uh, you know, expand their beautiful, famous outdoor dining areas. I want people to be able to eat those quarter pounders al dente um, uh, the way that God intended. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. I also think they should give out mayonnaise with their fries instead of ketchup, but that's- a Yeah, don't you think part. that, Derek? This is, this is now <laughs> becoming extremely Eurocentric. Um, and I, I have to, I have my foot down. This is America. And we're not doing mayonnaise <laughs> with fries, okay? <laughs> Go back to Belgium. All right, Uncle Sam. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for all of your work and your insight. It was so good to speak to you today. Great to talk to you guys. Thank you. Yeah, you have a great way of keeping things in perspective and thinking about people's motivations and, and messaging. I've been really grateful for the work you've done throughout the pandemic. Thank you so much, man. Uh, vice versa. And thank you for having me.
Thanks, Derek. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye, guys. We had some nice words from listeners who were on Team Mayo. Maeve, just wanted to let you know. Uh, Laura, who's an American, writes, Team Mayonnaise. Oh, beautiful. Uh, Wes recommended Dutch Mayo with curry ketchup. I don't know what curry ketchup is. Um, Andrew wrote, the proper condiment for French fries is Wendy's Frosty. This was actually something I did as a kid, but admittedly thinking of the actual visceral experience mm-hmm. of doing this now is making my stomach turn a little. In reality, I'm one of those garlic aioli snobs or a spicy curry ketchup. Okay, so two people have mentioned curry ketchup. It is a thing. Um, yeah. Forgive me. I mainly just eat whatever is, you know, closest. No, you just eat whatever is greenest. I but eat that's a bag so of spinach about- every day. You yeah. do. You do. And okay, well, I'm really glad that at least some of the listeners are on my side and that we have some sophisticated listeners. That's all I'll say. Yep. And not just Philistines who are, you know what else, Jim? This craze for sweet food on Thanksgiving, you know, how people are like, you just pop some marshmallows in your sweet potato. That's where you're headed. If you're a ketchup eater, that's ultimately where you're headed. Just put so sugar what I'm on trying everything. To... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just trying to save you by saying, you know what? Mayo, baby. <laughs> we leave it there. Uh, again, we... I, I, I am not going to be dragged down into this debate, mm-hmm. but I, I mm-hmm. wish you well in your quest. And I know what you personally believe because you text me. <laughs> <laughs> and I will go public. With those text messages saying, <laughs> Maeve, I, um, I do like mayonnaise. Yeah. Can I also say that I run without a mask and I, mm-hmm. I only worry that I'm scaring people who see me, but I'm nowhere near people and, and I hope others would feel similarly empowered to do yeah. that. If, especially if people are not going for walks or runs or something because the mask makes it cumbersome and annoying and sweaty and it's important to exercise and get out there. And especially if you're nowhere near people and you're outdoors and then doubly. So once you're vaccinated, that's an area where Mm -hmm. I feel like from a purely public health perspective, we should get some clarity and focus on, you know, where the actual risks lie. Okay. Well, thanks for saying that. And, you know, as a medical doctor myself, I (laughs) I just think mayonnaise I just think mayonnaise is better than ketchup. So both of us have strong do you know takes. What I mean? Yeah, we yeah, we have yeah. strong takes, and we're not afraid to just go there. And we have our meds, medicines, uh, backup. Yeah, that's true. You know, so it's really good to work with you again and <laughs> be uh, just a team of doctors talking. Yeah, really brings me back. <laughs> well, uh, I think next week we are going to talk about long COVID and check in with uh, people who've been living with symptoms for for quite some time and see what the past year has taught us about the potential for chronic disease to develop because uh, interesting stuff is unfolding in that space. Right, definitely. And we do love hearing from listeners. So if there's something you'd like us to talk about, you know, next week or on another show, our email is socialdistance at theatlantic.com and our voicemail line is 202-642-6487. And Social Distance is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from senior producer A.C. Valdez. And finally, as always, 
If you like this show and want to access all of the Atlantic's journalism, the best way to do that is by subscribing at theatlantic.com slash support us. Jim, thanks for today. Thank you too, Maeve. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. I'll send you a picture of um, baby Jim, actually. there. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see him. Bye, Maeve. Bye, Pops. Bye, Pops.